Erev everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat HaShavua class. Tonight, Shi'ur is sponsored anonymously in memory of the great Tzadik HaChacham HaShalem VeHakolel BeYisrael, Rabbi David Lashkar, Zecher Tzadik Livracha Sidi Mulai Igi. May the words of Torah that we say be Lui Nishmat Harav HaGadol Ma'uzul Migdol and Bezat Hashem. Lessons we come out from here will change us and as well protect of Klal Yisrael Ti Nafshot Bitzror HaChayim. Tonight we are studying Parashat Korach. Korach ben Yishar ben Kehat ben Levi Vedatan Vaviram ben Eliyav Veon ben Peret ben Ereuven. The Torah gives us the lineage, the Yichus of Korach, the son of Yitzhar, who was the son of Kehat, who was the son of Levi. And he separated himself from Datan Aviram ben Eliyav and On ben Peret ben Ereuven. Rashi here on the Pasuk notes that the lineage is stated but leaves out one major figure, that being Yaakov Avinu. Why you start from Korach and you mention his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather Levi, why just, why stop there? Why not continue until Yaakov? So Rashi says here famously, Velo ben Yaakov. The Torah did not write the son of Yaakov, Levi being the son of Yaakov, because Yaakov actually prayed that this should not happen, that Hashem should give him mercy, not to mention his name, so that his name not be associated with Machloket. So we have to explain here why exactly did Yaakov pray for this. No one wants to be part of a machloket, but uh, machloket, unfortunately, is part of life. Uh, you know, we all want our, our grandchildren to remember us, even though our grandchildren will probably be involved in some sort of machloket. So what was the mindset of Yaakov as this was going on, where he knew that this was going to happen, it seems like, um, that's one of the issues that we're going to explain today. And additionally, we're going to explain the great Hatam Sofer's explanation, um, or bewilderment, should I say, over the fact that the sons of Levi, mainly Yitzhar, would name their son Korach, which is the name of one of the 11 chiefs of Asav, listed at the end of Parashat Vayeshev, uh, Vayishlach, actually. Um, and uh, and there it's listed all the sons and grandsons of Esav, and Korach is one of them. Um, this is a very interesting or astonishing fact from the fa- uh, from the idea that his name says the Chatam Sofer uh, was the cause of his downfall. The fact that he was named Korach is the reason for his downfall, due to the fact that he lost all of the kedusha that was destined for him to inherit from all of his ancestors. Um, so, actually, the Khatam Sofer writes, he says, Ani tamal tzadikim bnei Levi. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm bewildered with the children of Levi, shekaru shem benam korach, shu shem Why would they do this? So he says, shulash, even though korach seemed to have this, this uh, uh, hardened chain leading all the way to Yaakov, 
But that chain was cut off because of his name, of his name being that one of Arasha. So uh, the name of Esav's wicked descendants, Korach, carried such a negative impact that it negated the force of Kedusha that should have been given to Korach from his holy predecessors, that being Yitzhar, Kehat, and Levi. And that's why the Gemara states, Lo maskinan bishemaihu. Masechet Yoma says, we do not uh, use the names of the wicked. So the Khatam Sofer says that the spiritual depths which Korach sank were a result that he had the name of a wicked person, notwithstanding the fact that we need to try understanding this. Um, uh, as they, 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 they were still holy tzaddikim, so we still have to figure out, okay, that's the reason why he failed, but why give him the name in the first place? You know he's a rasha, so why give him the name in the first place? So those are two ideas that we want to tackle this uh, this evening, and I invite you to join me here uh, live. Of course, thank you to everyone for listening and those listening on um, on the podcast. Um Uh, just mute yourself, please, or if you're on the phone or whatever, please uh, hold yourself back from talking. Thank you. Um, the all right, we'll dismiss. All right. Um, some people just don't understand that they come onto class. They gotta they gotta mute themselves. All right. There's an important lesson from our Chachamim concerning the dispute between Korach and Moshe Rabbeinu, which is obviously the main part of the story. It's a vital lesson not only for Jews around the world or any person around the world, but more for that, the Jewish women in every generation. The women possess the ability to influence their husband positively or negatively. On one hand, you can persuade your husband to get involved in disputes, that have horrible consequences. But on the other hand, you also have the ability to save your husband from aligning himself with the uh, cohort uh, or, or associates who act inappropriately. The Gemara details this. Two different wives. Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin detail, details the positive influence exerted by the wife of On Ben Pelet and how she saved his life from Korach's Mission. She asked him, what difference would it make whether Moshe Rabbeinu was victorious or whether Korach was victorious? Either way, you, on Ben Pelet, you're joining these forces of Korach. You're still going to be secondary. You're not going to be in an elite position. So then he asked his wife, okay, so what, do you, what should I do? He already committed to joining Korach's cause. So knowing that the people were holy and modest, she devised a plan to save her husband. She knew the men would not enter her home if her hair was uncovered. So she got her husband drunk, this is all written down the Gemara, she got On Ben Pelet drunk and left him inside their home. Then she sat outside her home, uncovered her hair and left it disorderly. And anyone came to look for her husband saw her immediately, and they went away. By the time On Ben Pelet woke up from his drunken stupor, Korach 
and his whole assembly were already swallowed by the earth. This is the wife of On Ben Pelet, who had the ability to positively influence her husband. In contrast, the Gemara goes on to describe the negative influence given by Korach's wife, leading him down a path of destruction. Korach's wife would tell, uh, would tell Korach, look at what Moshe Rabbeinu did. He made himself a king. He appointed his brother Kohen Gadol. He assigned his nephews to be the assistant Kohanim. Not only that, look at you. He cut off all of your hair. We're going to go deep into this. He treated you degradingly. He, he, he noticed your hair. He didn't want you to look good. And eventually Korach got uh, enraged with this and uh, staged his rebellion. Concerning these two women, Shlomo HaMelech writes in Mishle, Chachmot Nashim Banta Beita, the wise among women each builds her house, in reference to the wife of On Ben Pelet, but the foolish one tears it down with her hands. That's a reference to Korach's wife. Korach's wife tried to goad her husband into confronting Moshe by how? By disparaging the Levim's ritual of spirituality. She claimed her husband was now ridiculed by having to shave off all of his hair. Where do we see this? This is actually brought down in Parashat Behalotcha. There in the parasha, the Torah describes a four-step process for the Levim in preparation to serve in the Bet HaMikdash. This is what they have to do, says the Torah. Number one, they have to sprinkle upon them the waters of the Paraduma. Number one. Number two, they have to bring a razor upon their skin and shave off all their hair of their body. Number three, they have to wash all their clothes. And number four, Aaron literally picks them up and waves them. This was the four-step process to purify the Leviim. Uh, and that's how the Leviim would be, Kibiyacho, the children of Hashem. So Korach's wife scoffed at him and incited him to rebel on account of what was just written about this ritual, this initiation process. She mocked the fact that they, were able, that they had to shave off all their hair. Their bodies were waved in the air like it was garbage, and, and, and what's going on here, she would say. In fact, if you read the actual Midrash on this, there's even more detail that is going on. When Korach came back after this whole ritual, the Midrash says, Lo They wouldn't recognize Korach. They didn't even know who he was just by looking at him. He looked so different. Amru lo. They told him, Who did this to you? Moshe Asabi. Moshe Rabbeinu did it to me. He's the one who shaved me. Velo od. They would grab me by my arms and feet and wave me up in the air and say, Now you're Tahor. And they brought Aharon, his brother, and they dressed him up in beautiful gold clothing. <laughs> what happened? That's when they started the challenge. Here they are shaving your body and waving you in the air like garbage. At the same time, they're dressing Aaron Cohen in the most beautiful clothing probably ever seen to man. So we are struck by this fact 
of this repeated notion of this focus on hair. Um, the body here seems to be at the center of the dispute between Korach and his assembly and that of Moshe and Aaron. At first, Korach and all the other Levim shaved their hair, let them pass a razor upon all their flesh. On Ben Peret, like we mentioned the Gemara, he saved from the fate of Korach's assembly because his wife exposed her hair. So what is the deeper significance of this? Of this connection between the shaving of the Levim's hair and Korach's dispute? And again, we're going to tie this back to what we began with, with why the Levim would name, or the, the children of Levi would name Korach by that name if indeed he was a um, uh, uh, Korach being the grandson of Esav, an evil person. So to go to answer all this, we have to go back as we normally do to uh, Sefer Bereshit, and I'd like to recount the story of Yaakov Avinu and Esav at the moment of the blessing. Yaakov Avinu tells Rivka she instructs him to go to her father to get the blessings before Esav comes back from the field. We're all familiar with the story in Parashat Toldot. The Torah tells us that Yaakov tells Rivka, his mother, in response, Hen Esav achi Isair. My, my brother Esav is hairy. Isair is hairy. Ve'anochi ish chalak. But I am a smooth-skinned person. Maybe my father will feel me. He will see, um, uh, and then he will know that I'm a liar. He will then, instead of giving me a blessing, he's going to give me a curse. Because I'm fooling him. Nevertheless, Rivka didn't listen. She takes her clothing of Esav, puts it on Yaakov. So this is what this is what Rivka does. Seems very strange, if you think about it, that Yaakov was so concerned about the difference in hairness between Esav and himself. This is what he's focusing on. And he doesn't focus on the difference of voice. He doesn't focus in the different the manners of speech. Yitzchak Avinu himself says, Hakol kol Yaakov de Esav. The voice is Yaakov's, the hands of Esav's. Why did Rivka expressly dress Yaakov in Esav's clothing that were located in her house? Surely she must have realized that it would still require a miracle for Yitzchak not to recognize Yaakov's voice. So why is Yaakov also focusing on the, on the skin part, on the hairy part? The Chachamim are very perplexed by the fact that Yitzchak wanted to give the blessings to Esav and not Yaakov. Um, Yaakov, of course, was the son who spent his whole life studying Torah and the Yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. So one of the reasons that's brought down by the Tifer Shlomo is that precisely because Yaakov studied Torah and was engaged in the service of Hashem, that Yitzchak didn't want to give him the blessings of, of materialism. He feared that material blessings of this world would corrupt Yaakov. Vaishman Yeshurun Vaivat. Yeshurun became fat and kicked, which, which is in reference to people to become lax and even rebellious in the service of Hashem once they become fat, once they are um, absorbed in all the 
physicality of the world and all the, the, the pleasures of the world. But at the end, but at the end, Rivka had this tremendous wisdom and foresight that still Yaakov should get the Beracha because she understood that the riches of the world, the, the, the materialism of the world can still assist a person if it's used to serve God more completely. Okay, so what does that have to do with hair? What does that have to do with the se'ar on the body? Hair represents affluence. It represents excess. Uh, the, the Torah tells us in Parashat Kitetzeh that if you are fighting a war and you find uh, a woman captive, or you, you take a woman captive, Kitetzeh la right? You find a woman, you want to be with her, you want to marry her. The Torah tells us you have to shave her head of this beautiful woman who's taken into captivity. And the reason is to prevent her from her returning to her evil ways, all of her excess must be minimized. The hair represents the, this excess. Look what the Abarbanel writes why Akadosh Baruch Hu commanded the Leviim to shave their body. He writes, the first thing about the Leviim is that they have to live separately. The Leviim dwelled around the Mishkan, directly in the circumference of the Mishkan, the perimeter, but they were not, they were not part of the Jewish, in the Jewish camps. They had their own camp. That's number one. Then he, had, he told the Leviim they have to cleanse all the sins that they had. That's who the Mechatat. Now the Levim have to distance themselves from all the lust and desires of materialism and physicality. And that is hinted by the commandment to take the razor and shave the hair of their head. Because the hair is the excess of the body. Unbelievable. So now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe, Take the Leviim and, and purify them from all worldly concerns. And this is how you do it. You have to sprinkle upon them this, this water of the Paraduma. Anything that represents physicality, you have to remove it. And then you wave them in front of Hashem so that they can serve me. This whole procedure was meant to convey to the Leviim, to convey the rationale to Leviim separation from worldly matters. They had to remain separate because they were chosen to stand in front of Hashem and perform His service. By the way, there's another mitzvah, on a side note, there's another mitzvah that has to do with hair which is called Peot. The peot on the sides of our head. The Torah tells us, Do not round off the edge of your scalp and do not destroy the edge of your beard. What is the deeper meaning with this? You can shave any part of your head except for the sides. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want man to separate and divorce himself entirely from all physical matters of the world. We still have Shuchan Aruch says that this pasuk, in all your ways you should know God, you should know Him, that all the benefits that a person derives from this world needs to be solely for the sake of Hashem. And therefore, anything that you gain pleasure from, 
has to be for for the purpose of Hashem. So on one hand, God wants us to shave the hair of our, of our heads for the Leviim specifically. They're serving Him, not to hair, not to let the hair grow wildly. By the way, according to Kabbalah, a person's hair should stay short and not long. And why does he do that? Symbolizing that we do not want to pursue the excess of the world because that's what hair represents. But at the same time, at the same time, you shall not round off the edge of your scalp. You do not shave your head completely. It's an indication that God still wants man to derive pleasure from this world as long as it's for the sake of heaven. And that's why it goes from ear to ear. The Chachamim Mekubalim write that, that the ear, the, the two sides of the head correspond to the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. Anochi Hashem Elohecha and Lo Yelecha. In reference, as if to say, those, I am Hashem your God who took you out of Egypt. You shall not have any other gods. God was saying, anything you do has to be for me. And that's symbolized by keeping just a little hair on the sides of the head to making sure we don't shave that. So let's go back to Esav. Yaakov cleverly conveyed to his mother, Hen Esav achi isair ve'anochi ishchalak. My brother's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. He wasn't talking about the physical, look, he happens to be more hairy and I don't have that much hair on my body. He was saying that his brother Esav was isair, was a man who was prone to pursue and indulge in the excesses of the world signified by the hair. But me, Yaakov, he, she's telling his mother, I'm Ishchalak. I'm devoid of hair. To me, it's irrelevant, all this excess. My only desire is to study Torah, to perform mitzvot, to be close to God. And that's why my father Yitzchak wants to give him the blessing instead of me. Because he feared that those blessings will interfere with my spirituality, my connection with God. And my service to Hashem. So how can I go to Yitzchak and receive the blessings? Maybe he's going to feel that I'm neglecting my role as a smooth-skinned man, as an Ishchalak, a man who's supposed to forego the pleasures of the world. He's going to think I'm an imposter, I'm a faker, attempting to get rid of my true role, which is the study of Torah. And then he's going to give me a curse instead of a blessing. This is what Yaakov's concern was. So Rivka, smarter than Yaakov, Vatikach Rivka Bigdei Esav Bena Gadol, Hachamudot Asherita Babayit Vatalbeshet Yaakov Bena Katan. Rivka took Esav's garments and placed him upon Yaakov. And with that gesture, Rivka was conveying a message to her lovely son. Yes, it's true. You're not supposed to have interest in the excesses of the world. And you're supposed to have true, total desire to study Torah and serve Hashem. But the material blessings of this world serve as an important role in life. It becomes a, a complement to the service of God. You need money in order to send your kids to Jewish school. You need money to purchase tefillin and mezuzot. To perform mitzvot in a more beautiful way, in a more elegant fashion. Worldly blessings allow a person to study Torah and serve Hashem more comfortably. And that's why Rivka was out, out with her son and put the clothing of Esav on him. Why did Korach specifically confront Moshe Rabbeinu after 
the commandment to initiate the Leviim took place. After the Leviim have their bodies shaved from hair and they're waved around, it's at that moment that Korach stages his rebellion. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Pesachim, Amar of Shalosh Matmoniot Hitmin Yosef Bemitzrayim. Yosef hid three fortunes in Egypt, three massive giant uh, S&P 500 fortunes in Egypt. Achat nitkala lekorach. One of them was revealed to Korach. Achat nitkala leantuninus ben Asurius. One was given to Artuninus. Veachat genuzal tzadikim laatilavo. And one of them will be kept for the tzadikim in the times of Mashiach. The one that was given to Korach. Korach was one of the wealthiest men to ever lived. And the Torah tells us in Kohelet, sorry, the Pasuk in Kohelet tells us about that. Osher shamur liv'alav le'ra'ato. Riches hoarded by their owner to their misfortune. Says Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, ze'osrosher Korach. That's the riches of Korach. Korach had uh, uh, 300 laden white beautiful mules carrying carrying treasures and riches and special keys. The Gemara talks about it. How much wealth he had. Why did Korach choose to confront Moshe specifically after her entire body was shaved and after the body was waved before Hashem, like we said in the Midrash before? Because due to that new fortune that he had, he now developed a lust for money and for wealth. And that led to his decline and began a downward spiral. Avera goreret avera, one transgression, one avera leads to another one. Then he coveted the position of the Kohen Gadol. He scoffed at the Levim's inauguration ceremony, the shaving of the body, the waving procedures. All this, the reason we do it is to separate the Levim from the world. And he wanted no part of it because of the money that he inherited or that he received. And that behavior indicated that Korach was not on that appropriate spiritual level. He failed to separate himself and elevate himself from the material world. Let's go back to where we started the shiur. This perplexing issue of what would prompt the children of Levi to name their son Korach. Korach was the name of one of the chieftains of Esav, the grandson of Esav. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Brachot, that one's name has an effect on one's life. And they quote a pasuk, a person's name has an effect on one's life. The Midrash tells us, If the generations would have been merited properly and they wouldn't have sinned, God would have named each and every one of us for, for, for the beauty that is found, the innate beauty that we have inside of us. And just from looking at a name, just for, for hearing a name, you know all of his greatness. Rabbi Meir, the Gemara tells us, was able to do this. So why would the righteous sons of Levi name their son Korach? They must have seen Beruach HaKodesh, that this son was going to find one of Yosef's treasures hidden treasures. 
and they anticipated that he was going to face with a very be faced with a very difficult challenge of dealing with wealth, of dealing with prosperity, a challenge that was likely to distort his good sense and his commitment to God and his avodat Hashem, which derives from the from from the his name derives from the word kereach. Kereach is bald one in the hope that his name would exert a positive influence, overriding all the negative forces. They named him Korach specifically so that that name would impart a certain Kedushah, a sanctity that would allow him to overcome all the excess of the world, which are analogous to the hair on a person's head. They wanted him to be like a spiritual bald man where the matters of the world were irrelevant, were, would be negated completely. That was their intent because they saw, they foresaw what was going to be. But that noble intent failed. Seeing as the name Korach was also one of the chieftains of Esav, so not only did the name not have a positive effect, but it had a deteriorating effect as well. And he scorned Moshe Rabbeinu for having shaved off all of his hair and publicly exposing uh, his shameful secret that he yet lusted after wealth and did not want to be devoid of hair, physically or spiritually. Now we understand why Yaakov Avinu prayed that his name not be mentioned in association with Korach and his assembly. Oh, I know what you're thinking. This is all connecting now. Korach fell victim to the lust for riches, but he, he didn't admit to this shortcoming. He maintained that his intentions was purely motivated. It was Lashem Shamaim. And he pointed to his name, Korach, as proof. Look, I'm a bald man, free from excess. We are all equal, we are all holy. He meant to prove that he was following in the footsteps of his great-great-great-grandfather Yaakov Avinu, Ishchalak. He was smooth-skinned. Look at me. I'm also smooth-skinned. Yaakov said, no, 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 not happening. Yaakov prayed that his name not be associated with Korach's assembly. And he wanted to reveal to all of Bnei Israel the root of Korach's failure and downfall. Korach failed to follow in Yaakov's footsteps as the Ishchalak which makes every effort to avoid the physicality and the excess of the world. Korach did the opposite. He followed the footsteps of Esav, chasing after wealth and honor, which remove a person from the world. And that was the wisdom that was exhibited by the wife of On Ben Pelet, which we started the class with. Recall that she messed up her hair and uncovered her hair in order to protect her husband from participating in that rebellion. That immodest act was designed to expose Korach's lie. Not only did his character not match his name when he was bald and free of excesses, but he lusted after the worldly physicality, signified by her full head of hair, disheveled hair. And it was the best interest of every member of Klal Israel to distance themselves from Korach and his cohorts. And that is the beautiful insight of the Khatam Sofer, that the name Korach, the name 
of given to him by Yitzhar, his father, was the same name as the grandson of Esav. That name was the cause of his ruination. Korach, Aluf Korach, was the, the son of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esav. Why would Eliphaz name his son Korach? So Rachachamim tell us that is the way of the negative forces in the world, the klipot, to emulate, to fake the forces of Kedushah by concealing the true nature and promote their lies. Eliphaz chose the name Korach. Again, Eliphaz is the son of Esav. Eliphaz chose to name his son Korach to resemble or suggest that his son would resemble Yaakov Avinu, the smooth-skinned man, one who avoids the excesses. The name Korach suggests baldness, absence of hair, alluding to a person who separates himself from materialism. But that was a lie. It was misrepresentation. Eliphaz and all of his sons followed in the footsteps of Esav, who were eager to follow monetary gains, passions, appetites of the world. And what's the proof? What's the proof? Well, of course, when Esav sends his son to go kill Yaakov Avinu, Rashi quotes in, in, in Sefer Bereshit, Shiradaf Eliphaz ben Esav, Bemitzvat Aviv Acharav Sigo. Eliphaz is going to meet his uncle Yaakov to kill him. Because Eliphaz grew up in his grandfather's house, Yitzchak Avinu, he was hesitant. He couldn't do it. Eliphaz tells Yaakov, What can I do? I have to fulfill my father's request. He told me I have to kill you. Which is something that Esav, of course, excelled in. So I have to fulfill what my father wants. I have to kill you. Amalo Yaakov, what did Yaakov say? Just take everything that I got. And then I will be impoverished. And a person who's impoverished is like a dead person. Now, at first glance, you look at this, this story and you say to yourself, this guy Eliphaz, what a tzaddik. This guy, what, how, look how different he is from his father Esav. And this guy, Eliphaz, he was a good man. He was a moral man. He spared Yaakov Avinu's life. He didn't kill his uncle. But to think that is a mistake. Achachamim told us that, that the, the kindness of the, of the Goyim, of the other nations, is only for their own benefit. The Gemara tells us, Rabbi Neymar B. Yohanan ben Zakayon HaPasuk, Tzedakat Romem Goy Vachesed Leumim Chatat. Charity will uplift the nation, but the kindness of regimes is a sin. The first part of the Pasuk, charity will uplift the nation, says the Yohanan Zakai is Klal Israel. The latter part of the Pasuk, the kindness of regimes is a sin, that's in reference to the nations of the world, the idolatrous nations of the world. Because their acts of charity and kindness are motivated by what serves them best and what enhances their reward. They don't do it for the other person. And if you look, if you pay attention, clearly what Eliphaz did to Yaakov was self-serving. It was motivated by greed. All he wanted was Yaakov's wealth and possessions. Had he truly wanted to save Yaakov's life, he would have left him alone right there on the street. He wouldn't have left him empty-handed and penniless. So therefore, Eliphaz's naming of his son Korach, suggesting that he and his sons were meritorious 
and tzaddikim, ish halak, smooth-skinned. Like Yaakov was a lie, it was a fake. And now it's clear how the name Korach, which the righteous sons of Levi gave their son with the hope that it would prevent him from falling prey to greed, in fact had this negative effect on him. This was the name of a wicked man. Aluf Korach, the chief of Korach, the son of Eliphaz, who pursued Yaakov and stripped him of all of his earthly possessions while he was out there on the road far from home. And as a result, this name stripped Korach of all the Kedushah that he was destined to inherit from his predecessors. He had, he had Yitzhar, he had Kehat, he had Levi, he would have, even have Yaakov. But it was too late. It was too late. He lost it all. The chain was nitak. It was broken. And no longer did he have that Kedushah. But, but, in the end of days, there will be a time where the Tikkun of Korach will take place. The Arizal writes that the Pasuk tells us in Mizmor Shili Yom HaShabbat, Tzadik Katamar Yifrach. If you take the last letters of Tzadik, Tzakuf, Katamar is Reish, and Yifrach is Chet, that spells out Korach. The final letters of the word Tzadik Katamar Yifrach, which means a righteous man will blossom like a date palm. It spells out Korach. And this suggests that in the future, Korach's soul will be rectified. It will achieve Tikkun. And according to what we just said tonight, an argument can be made in Korach's favor. His downfall was because of his name, his infamous name, the name of one of Esav's grandsons. And therefore, once he's been judged and cleansed of the misdeeds and the fires of Geinam, he will merit the tikkun. This is what will happen. He will have his father, the Zechut Avot, and his grandfather Levi, and his great-grandfather Yaakov there praying for him. And hopefully, Korach, Korach right now, down in the earth, is still screaming, Moshe Emet Vetorato Emet. He already made Teshuvah. He's screaming, I understand now, I understand now. In the time of Mashiach, he will come back, Sadiq Katamari Frach. He has a tikkun waiting for him. He understood his mis, misdu, uh, misdeed, and he will come back as Tzadik Katamar Ifrach. This is the reason, Rabotai, why Korach, A, is named Korach, which is Kereach, bald, and why the children of Levi called him this name, even though it was the grandsons of, um, the grandson of Esav. Tremendous lessons learned tonight, but we have to act almost like the way of On Ben Pellet's wife. Sometimes it's understanding that we have to push ourselves in order to save to save ourselves from the evil sides of Korach and his cohorts. There's always a lot of people that are out there to destroy us. What are we going to do? How are we going to show God that we are on his side? How are we going to show our leaders, our spiritual leaders, that we are on their side? One way is get rid of the hair. Not physically get rid of the hair, but get rid of the excess, the materialism, the physicality, the desires, the lusts that brings us down. If we manage to control that, then Bezrat Hashem, we will be zocheh to many, many great berachot. The berachot that Yaakov Avinu received on that fateful day by his father Yitzchak Avinu. It should be on him and all of his descendants, all of Cloud Israel. Thank you for joining us tonight. 
wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom and a wonderful night ahead.